Welcome to And for Off the Block, your weekly podcast for college men's volleyball. And now here's your host, Off the Block editor, Vinny Lips. And welcome everyone to another edition of the End for Off the Block podcast. I am Vinny Lips, joined alongside here by Jonathan Bates and Brandon Johnson as we're here to break down all the action that was and preview what is upcoming. And uh, fellas, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit uh, later on, but I have to say it's always an interesting time of the year, two weeks in, because you're not sure if at the end of the season you're going to look back and say, that was a good win, or how the heck did that team win? You, you, we're just kind of in this unknown game right now. So it's kind of fun, but a little bit of good news. Let's start off the show with good news. I love, Jonathan, when you you come up with the scripts and everything for the podcast, you always want to start with good news. I love that. Staying positive. That, that is what it's all about, babe. It's so <laughs> unlike Jonathan in real life. I know. It's so weird. <sighs> I know. He, he, he scrounges the internet to find the good news nuggets. So let's start here with um, we're going to talk about Stanford's endowment. Hey, oh, um, talking about, yeah, okay, that podcast apparently for 16 year olds. Um, we're talking about Stanford, some huge news as they now have all their coaches in, endowed. Uh, this is a huge financial move for the program. Well, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have an MBA, can explain endowment. Gosh knows, I'm horrible at even getting out invoices for, for off the block. But I think that this is going to be a trend that we're going to be seeing more and more teams going to is endowment and basically preserving the finances of the program. And I think it's awesome that Stanford was able to do this to basically ensure that you're going to have a full-on coaching staff. And we're going to be seeing more teams do this. Uh, you know, Lewis has started one. Uh, IPFW, Purdue, Fort Wayne, already has has one. So the more endowments that we see in men's volleyball, the better that it's going to be because that is financial stability for the program. So I, I'm excited to see that. We, I think we kind of saw this coming with Stanford when they were coming back, that they were going to do what they can to preserve that program to make sure that they are not in the financial t- chopping blocks again. The one thing I, that really was touching to me was that one of the assistant coachships is named after Al Rodriguez, one of their story, the volunteer coaches that was uh, the one that was uh, coined the uh, term first to or worst to first. And, you know, the, uh, the Stanford program was in last place, I believe, in 2007. And, of course, they won the national championships in 2010. And, um, I, it's hard to find anybody who didn't um, love that program as much as Alden. So um, to name one of the coachships after him was just a very touching and very thoughtful move uh, by uh, the Stanford Athletic Program. So great job by Stanford right there. Once again, Tosh, is a smart guy. He's got this program moving in the right direction, as he always has. And I, you got to give him credit also, I will say, you know, uh, really, this was going to be a rough season go, going in. I was wondering what we were going to see. Three and two, a couple tough losses last weekend, but they're moving in the right direction. So and It's really – Vinny, if I could jump in real quick, it's actually really exciting to see Stanford competing. Like, we had talked about in our last pod that, you know, this might be kind of a tough season for them. And, honestly, their roster is pretty thin. But, you know, their starting lineup is playing really, really well, and they're competing, and they're giving themselves a chance to win every night. So they're actually a lot of fun team to watch right now. Yeah, completely, completely agree there. So let's talk about this because we talked about a couple of matches right now. And, look, volleyball isn't taking place in a bubble. 
We have the COVID pandemic, the Omicron variant, running through the country, record all-time high cases. If you go to the CDC website, check all that out. The thing that's amazed me, Jonathan, is that somehow through all this, we have been able to still have a match every single day somewhere in the country so far. There is yet to be a day where there has not been a men's volleyball match. I, I think some of the credit goes to the players, you know, really hunkering down. Um, you know, kind of not, you know, really quarantining as best as they can. Same thing with the coaching staff because, it, I mean, it, this new virus or this new, um, you know, this new variant is so easy to get. So I'm really surprised that we haven't had more cancellations. Let, let me clarify your statement real fast. It's, we haven't gone more than a week. We've gone more than a week without a cancellation. So, um, or without, sorry, we've gone a, more than a week with at least one match being played. So, yeah, it, it, that was a, that's an achievement given that we, I believe, had uh, about tw- 20 cancellations in the first week. So, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking this is trending uh, in a positive direction. You know, still have had some cancellations recently. CSUN had to cancel uh, their match against Princeton, and um, we're recording this on, a, on Wednesday, and... Um, Kudos to Santa, UC Santa Barbara and Princeton for scheduling a match just on the last second to um, that both of them were open. So that was pretty cool. Um, I am hoping I'm not jinxing anything, but I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Friday um, looks like if all matches are played, 14 of the 15 uh, teams that are ranked in the natural coaches poll will be playing. That will be one heck of a day of uh, volleyball. The matches that we can look forward to, indeed, Jonathan, we're going to get into all the action. I want to touch on something really quick with Princeton and Harvard, but before I do, I want to get on my quick soapbox here really quick. For anyone who hasn't been vaccinated, hasn't gotten their booster, be sure to go on out and do that. If you have questions, definitely talk to your doctor, medical professionals, help them answer all the questions. We're obviously not qualified to answer those questions, so don't ask us. But, you know, let's also be smart. Everyone continuing to wear masks, you know, especially, you know, the the really nice ones, you know, that are now becoming available to the public. Let's make sure that, that we're being smarter and out there. I can tell you for certain, I have been to Target. I have worn a mask. I have not worn a mask. I wore not did not wear a mask, obviously, before the pandemic. My target experience has not been altered. It has not been hurt by wearing a mask. I promise you will still get the good deals. Still find that same enjoyment going to Target if you have your mask on. All right, off of the soapbox right now, let's get back to volleyball. Jonathan, I want to talk to you. We mentioned Princeton and Harvard. They were back on the court. You got to see some of these teams in action. Awesome to see, you know, everyone back on the court, the, the Ivy Leaguers, our future bosses. It, it's amazing to see them back on the court. But, you know, I want to just ask me, as you were there at some of these matches, what was some of your biggest takeaways? It was for both teams. They both have a heavy Southern California presence. And so uh, more so on the Princeton side where they were playing in front of friends and family. There was no fans, and I still think there was probably 80 fans in the uh, in the uh, in Galen Center. And so, even though officially it was not open to the public, it was still good to see Princeton on the court. You could tell that they were really amped up, and 
Um, Harvard, when I saw them, they already had a um, couple matches under their belt, but same thing. Just really excited to be on the court. And um, while both teams lost on the days I saw them, you know, that almost seemed like it was secondary. Just to get back on the court for the first time in over 670 days is just, uh, you know, you can't really describe the elation for both programs. Absolutely, and it's it's good to see the Ivy Leaguers back. All right, everyone, let's jump into some of the matches that said. Like, so we talked a little bit about it, about some of the matches, but before we go, let's break down the even specific players. We're two weeks into the season, so I guess it's fair for us to ask what player has stood out the most for us in the matches that we have seen so far, who has jumped out the most for for everyone. For me, it's uh, Hiller Heno, the uh, Frenchman uh, for UC Irvine. He, I think we had a lot of questions about UC Irvine this, uh, coming out of last season. They were, I believe, what, 2-15, wondering how they were getting votes in the national coaches poll. And um, Heno, you know, I, it's obviously, again, small sample size, two weeks, but he is definitely a candidate for Big West Freshman of the Year. I he he's been a very um, a nice a very nice compliment to Francisco Sani, and I think um, I, I see some promise uh, for um, UC Irvine with those two pin hitters. Brandon, what, what about you? So anyone that listens to this podcast ever knows that I never like to do one person. I tend to throw a couple people out there. So I'll stay on the international theme along with Jonathan, and I got a couple of guys that, that have caught my attention. Uh, first, uh, middle blocker for UCLA, Guy Jenis. I believe it's pronounced Jenis. Jenis, we'll call him whatever. We'll call him Guy. And uh, he is from Gee. Israel. Gee. We'll call him whatever we want to call him. we we'll call him a good volleyball player. Uh, there we go. He, he is, I guess, quote-unquote, an undersized middle at like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but uh, he has international experience. He – Looks the part on the court. I think he hit like over 600 in his first match or close to it. Um, goes 556 at three blocks. Looked looked the part in his first match, uh, his first college match. And then the guy who's been jumping off the screen for me is a freshman outside hitter from Long Beach, Alex Nikoloff. Talk about um, a guy who can make a run for freshman of the year in the Big West Conference. Um, I text you guys after, I believe, uh, Nikolov's second serve of the season, and I said, I think he already might be the best server in the country. So if he can just clean it up a little bit and, you know, obviously clean up some of the errors there, um, this kid is impressive. He he is long. He is powerful. He is good. So keep an eye on Alex Nikolov, Long Beach State, freshman off the hitter. So for me, I, I guess I'm going to snag a couple guys here as well. Uh, and, you know, we'll stick with the setters for me. The first, you know, we started the podcast, our last podcast, and the question was raised, uh, is um, Kelly from Hawaii elite? Uh, question was answered. Uh, th- that kid's an elite setter. In the NCAA, anyone who's disagreeing, just go back and watch footage of that season opener against Loyola. What he was able to do in that match is unbelievable. And the entire Penn State roster has been absolutely amazing. We'll get into that team a little bit later on. But the other player to keep an eye on as well, Quinn Isaacson from Ball State. He's got that offense running pretty good. Serve is looking good. Uh, they didn't play the greatest of competition. Let, let's be honest. No, no disrespect to Maryville, you know, first-year program. There's good things happening down there in St. Louis, you know, but they're not at the level of a nationally ranked team. 
same thing with um, Tusculum. You know, they're still a growing program. But you see the signs right there with Ball State where there's a lot of positivity, veteran setter. And I'm excited to see what this Ball State team can do under first-year coach, Coach Cruz, especially with some big matches coming up later this month against Hawaii. So, gentlemen, now that I've um, done my alumni obligatory comments on Ball State, let's jump into <laughs> the, the teams. I mean, full, full transparency there on that. I guess this is my question for, for everyone and looking at this. We're two weeks in. What team do we know is good at this point? Like, if you, if I were to ask, well, I'll ask you, well, not if I were, I will, Jonathan Brandon, what teams right now would you say, hey, these teams are good? We are, we know that they are definitely good, going to be good this year. Well, give us one, JV. See, I feel like every team that you look at, you're like, oh, you, you can make a qualifying statement, like, you know, if you really want to nitpick. Um, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like the team that's probably the most tested is Penn State, and we'll get into them a little bit later. But the team that, again, I mentioned earlier that I'm su- kind of surprised in a, in a pleasant way that uh, how they perform so far is UC Irvine. They are one overtime fifth set away from an unbeaten record right now. And, you know, again, when they finished 2-15 and 15 last year, and they're only one set away from being undefeated and that fifth set went twenty to eighteen so you know clearly couldn't have gone any any way on the farm. I'm I'm very impressed with them um so far. Uh, you know, two weeks in, let's see how they this uh, if they can keep it up. But um I like uh, what I see so far. Yeah. Brandon what what about you? Who who right now is or or is jumping out on on your volleyball pages? Well, I mean, there's clearly a few teams right now that we can look at and and see that they're going to be there at the end of the season, right? We can obviously look at Hawaii. They're going to be there. Pepperine's going to be there. Um, you know, I, I definitely think Penn State's going to be there. Uh, what I am, and I'm going to go back to this team I was talking about a little while ago, Long Beach State is actually looking probably better than I thought they were going to be coming into the season. And the reason that they are looking so good is they are very deep. Uh, they have probably 10 or 11 guys that can come in and be producers. Um, now, again, it's early in the season. They haven't played the toughest competition either, who has at this point. Um, but they have guys producing at every position. And in my opinion, their best player, uh, well, best attacker, Spencer Olivier, hasn't even really gotten going yet. So when he gets going, it's going to make them even better. So I'm looking forward to see if Long Beach can continue this uh, once they start getting um, some good competition, which they will uh, coming up this weekend. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. So for me, I'm looking at this right now. I look at four teams that I know for certain. End of the year, they're going to be good, which means that they're going to have calamities with injuries and everything, and they're going to likely lose 20 matches right now because because I'm, I'm saying this. Hawaii know that they're good. Long Beach, I know that they're, they're they're good. Penn State has proven that that they're good already, and then Pepperdine I know is good. The, you know those four, and then the one I think is good, but I just don't know because I feel like we need to see more from them. No fault their own with the schedule is going to be UCLA. You know that's going to be the team that I'm going to be interested in seeing. But the team that we have to talk about that maybe had the biggest win for their conference 
This past weekend is Mount Olive, a huge home victory to open the season against George Mason. Hey, look, George Mason, bit of a down year, rebuilding year for that program. Coach Jay Hossick has that program going the right direction, but with any any program, there's rebuilding years. But credit to this Trojan team for being able to go on out, get a win. They were, in, in some regards, you know, I thought that they were the favorites going into it, just because you look at the depth that they have on the team. Azia on the outside, most matches Mount Olive plays, he's going to be the best player on the court, period. Then you also look at the middles that they're able to run in, in Eric Vastitis. That guy was putting up double-digit kills and, very, and I think no errors in that win against George Mason, which is, once again, a solid, this year, middle-of-the-road, solid middle-of-the-road EIVA team. That is a huge win for the Conference Carolinas. When you can start being able to knock off not the teams in the bottom of other conferences, but knock off those top teams, those middle teams, and begin to do it yearly consistently, that is huge for the growth of the Conference Carolinas. So let's keep an eye on Mount Olive. Am I bold enough to say next week they're going to go on down into Provo, Utah, and take one? Probably not, but who knows? You, you never know how much coffee I'll have before I go on and make my prediction. But this is a gosh darn good team, folks, and uh, they're going to make some noise this season in non-conference and in the Conference Carolinas. Is there any speaking of predictions? How are is our favorite uh, prognosticator doing on the season? You know, she's doing great. You know, the great thing about us with uh, my four-year-old Addie, who um, for those of you who uh, follow Swatch Twitter, I will randomly ask Addie who she thinks is going to win volleyball matches. And she will make her predictions. Usually we'll we'll do it on Saturdays. Um, She likes to pick teams based off the colors of their jerseys, what Disney princesses they're most associated with. Uh, So, for instance, Hawaii is obviously (laughs) on the island, so Moana. You know, so, so I, I mean, you know, we, we get creative with the picks, but, you know, she's doing really good. And in, in, in her mind and my mind, she's undefeated, never lost. <laughs> LeVar Ball status over here. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, and she could totally, you know, totally take Jordan Larson in a game right now of volleyball. Call it. No, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding on that. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's break down uh, some of the big matches coming up this weekend, fellas. We're looking at the Pac-12 Big Ten Showdown. And, Jonathan, you had a really interesting nugget here, which really jumped out to me. First time, every single team is going to be undefeated. And this isn't like, oh, you started the season, you know, meeting up, and everyone's 0-0, zero zero, it's undefeated. No, this is the first time everyone's played at least one match, is undefeated, and I'm looking forward to this. So you got Penn State, Ohio State, USC, UCLA. It's becoming an annual event. We weren't able to play it last year, but playing it this year at Poly Pavilion. Uh, Penn State, they are playing so well right now. You can't say enough of the job they're doing from the service line. Cal Fisher has been lights out. He, he's you know hitting the ball insanely right now. You have Wildman, who's been fantastic on the pins. And when you have those pins, it opens up the chance for a mill. You had Marsh, Sam Marsh, named the ABCA National Player of the Year. And I think that because so much tension to being focused on those middle or on those outsides, it frees up the mills. And when you have a set, setter like Cole Bogner, they're going to be making some noise. I really look at this stretch for Penn State. They have four matches the next two weeks in 
California, I really think they're going to win three of those four. The UCLA one this week, I think it's going to be their biggest test. I think that's going – we're going to learn a lot about both those teams, where they are at the beginning of the season, so I'm excited to see that. But, I mean, this is a really good team that's already taken down. BYU, you can talk about, hey, they they were out a couple players. Took down Green Canyon. Yeah, Green Canyon was without Janky. Janky's a great player, but, you know, once again, you got to play against the players who are on the other side of the net. You can't control that, and they're taking care of business. So I'm looking forward to this from from Penn State side. You know, I think that, you know, historically, anytime you get non-conference matches like this, the East Coast-Midwest team tends to be a little bit more fired up. Um, not saying that, obviously, you know, UCLA players and USC players don't want to win, but, you know, they tend to hype these and circle them on their calendars a little bit more. But this is going to be a fun test. I'm excited to see UCLA. Brandon, I'd love to get your thoughts here with, with UCLA. That's a good team, and I think that we're going to once again see how good they are this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Coach Spraw and the boys would have loved to have gotten a few more matches under their belt before playing in this showdown, Um, but you're right. This will be a really good early test for them, and more than anything else, just a really good test uh, for them to get some reps as a team that is returning um, not a lot of starters off their roster, and then this past weekend when they played, there was a couple stars from last year that were not playing. Uh, Merrick McHenry was in street goals. We're not entirely certain why that was. Ethan Champlin, who we expected to have a big season as an outside hitter, was coming off the bench as more of a serving sub. So it's going to be interesting to see as UCLA kind of uh, is implementing all these new players into their system, uh, how they respond. Uh, we know that they have a very young setter, uh, Miles Partain, who is extremely talented, uh, but it's just going to be how he is able to you know, continue progressing in the college game. Uh, but, yeah, UCLA is another team that is very deep. So when, you know, Merrick McHenry's not starting, they bring in J.R. Norris, and he goes off in the middle. And, you know, Champlin's not playing, and they have Alex Knight, the former number one recruit in the country. So, uh, yeah, UCLA is very good. Going back to Penn State for just a second, um, I did message you guys earlier this year, earlier this week, I believe it was. And the, the thing that Penn State definitely has going for them right now is that with them returning so many players off of their roster from last year, they do not have that same learning curve that a lot of these other teams have. So this is really, really important for this Penn State team to collect all these wins right now. Um, It's very important for them. As these other teams are going to be getting better as the season progresses, as they start getting these reps together, Penn State already has that symmetry with all their rosters. So it's going to be really good for them to collect these wins. It's going to help the conference out. It's going to help them out come selection time. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. These matches should be great. On paper, they're great for sure. And the other thing also with Penn State, you know, I want to just round back on this ad, there's some teams you can just tell are super close on and off the court, and Penn State is one of those teams, and it even, you know, goes back to, you know, the the off season when they were doing kind of some goofy social media videos where you would have the guys go on out and try to do women's gymnastics with the Penn State women's gymnastics team or try to play field hockey, and they would video it. So uh, I agree, you know, the repetition is there, but also a tight-knit group of players, which y- you always love to see. I mean, heck, they give each other, or Cal Fisher gives some of the players haircuts. I mean, that's how close they are. Apparently does a very good job as well. So we've talked about Penn State. We've talked about UCLA. Jonathan, I'm going to let you talk about your alma mater, USC, the man who loves USC so much. He made us put a dang horse in our mascot challenge two years ago, an actual horse. 
that people could <laughs> vote on. He didn't. That horse did not win the mascot <laughs> of the year. I want to recount. Um, anyways, um, so I think fight on, fight Big on. News. Um, so yeah, I've seen that scene uh, once, and I saw uh, them play against Santa Barbara. But um, yes, they are four and zero. But three of those wins came against teams that don't have any. Uh, wins right now, so I'm not sure how much we can really take from the um, that four and L record. Um, it's definitely you know better than being owned for it by by a uh, mile, but um, I'm not sure uh, we really know how good this team is. The one thing I do like for SC is um, Sam Coburn, the UCLA transfer. I feel like Sam kind of suffered from. Um, not knowing what position he would be playing at UCLA, and even if he would be starting at UCLA, there was a lot of just kind of uncertainty looking over his back. Uh, and at SC, he's clearly an outside hitter. He's clearly a starter. And short of just having an absolutely un, you know disastrous match or you know being injured, he's going to be playing for SC, and he's going to be playing a vital role. And um, and their offensive attack. I think he's probably going to be their most consistent attacker, and he's probably going to be the player that I'm going to keep an eye out on uh, this weekend. The thing that always amazes me with USC, and this is just the broader thing, I feel USC is the team the volleyball community is always most skeptical about whenever they start have a hot start, whenever they're going to have winning records. I don't know what it is about, about the team, but I just feel the volley, USC fans, non-USC fans, is always the weirdest thing for me that this team will rack up wins and there's just this aura of, you know, I you know don't think they're good. I feel you just don't see with many other teams. It, it's always baffling me. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm not in California, so, so maybe it's just a West Coast thing. It it could be. I I think it's um maybe the unrealistic expectations and when those have not been met and, you know, I'm not just talking from a volleyball standpoint, I'm talking about from, you know, obviously USC is a football school and um, underachieving the last couple of years of the Clay Hilton era. I think there's just a lot of, you know, high expectations and when those are not met, then it kind of snowballs into a very negative, um, pessimistic kind of, of view. And maybe that's what I suffer from. Hmm. Jonathan, I think that's a great point, actually, and I don't think I ever really thought about that, is that, you know, USC is viewed as this, you know, powerhouse, but a lot of that is just because of, you know, football has made that school a rock star school, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, and I think that does trickle into the volleyball. In addition to that, I mean, USC recruits Southern California so well, and Southern California, in my opinion, as a coach of Southern California, has the best volleyball in the country at the high school level and club level. And they continuously get these these really great recruits that play at high level clubs and high school, and for some reason they can't quite, uh, you know, make that come through on the court. So you take that as you will, but for some reason they do tend to underachieve whether they start strong or not. Okay. Well, a good test for them this weekend coming up against Penn State and Ohio State, the fourth team that we're going to talk about here in the Pac-12 Big Ten Challenge, and. For this Ohio State team, I, I, I think that this is kind of an interesting test for them. You know, you look at this season, they're 3-0 and 
as expected, you had two wins against, you know, Central State, which those matches are just awesome for a reason that doesn't have to do with the final score. The fact that you got an HBCU school in Ohio during the volleyball program, Ray Lewis has that place move in the right direction, going on, taking on Ohio State, two wins there, beat St. Francis. I, I think the question that we're going to see you know, Sapanis is going to be out for an extended period of time. Ohio State kind of announced that earlier this week, announced that to, to their part of their alumni newsletter. And you look at this team, how are they going to respond to that? And I think that this is really the time that we're going to see Jacob Pastor. This is his time to shine coming from the oppo position. He's been putting up some really good numbers to start the season. Now we're going to see how he does kind of against that top-tier capability. We've seen he's had the potential before. And they also have another guy outside in Lamend, who, once again, was a all-Neva player last season. So I'm intrigued on this. I think the other thing to point out with Ohio State, keep an eye on their defense. You know, that's really been one of the big emphases that they have had really improving their back row defense, really keeping the digs going. And they've had some really good moments in their first three matches of that. So if their back row defense can hold – I think that they have a good opportunity here to come away one and one, two and zero. Oh, that may be a little tough against UCLA. UCLA is going to be the favorite, but I think they're going to put a, on a really good showing in both of those games. That, that's a good team that you have going on in Ohio State. So as we wrap up, we've talked about you know this tournament. Let, let's close it with this. Um, it's not a true round robin, so theoretically you could have two teams go two and zero. Oh, but who do you think is going to have the best record? in this Big 12, in this Big 10, Pac-12 challenge? I'm going to make a bold prediction, and I'm probably am going to jinx them, but um, we're talking about, you know, Penn State uh, having back-to-back road trips in Southern California. I'm not sure that they're actually going back to Happy Valley, but, you know, they're playing uh, Penn uh, Long Beach State and Santa Barbara next week, and I'm predicting them to go 4-0. Four, whoa, that, a 4-0 pick. They're even calling next week's matches as yep. well. Yep. Brandon, what about you this week? Who do you think has the best record in this tournament? Yeah, I think Penn State is going 2-0. Yeah. I think that they are the most uh, currently ready team to win these matches. They are they are playing very well. They are, you know, in sync with each other. Now they're obviously playing true road matches, and these are tough, right? But I, I think that they are currently of these four playing the best, and I think that they have the best chance to, to win these matches. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Penn State, I think, 2-0, and but, you know, then again, it wouldn't shock me once again if we see a straight split across the board and all these teams go 1-1. One and one. All right, let's talk about a couple other matches that we want to keep our eyes on this week. So let's start off with Long Beach State. They are going to the Midwest. They're going to be taking on Lewis and Loyola. Brandon, we've talked about this Long Beach State team a, a little bit already. Talking about Lewis, it, it, it's so fascinating because if you look at these two teams, it, Long Beach State's so good at the pins. Lewis, so good at the middle with Mitchum and so good at the setter with Colin. This is, I, I think, going to be a fun, dynamic matchup in Romeoville, Illinois. Oh, I love these matchups this weekend. We had just talked about, um, well, I had talked about how good Long Beach State looks, and this is a fantastic test, a couple of road matches for them, and playing against two two teams that are, are both good and both should be uh, contenders in the MEVA this season. Um, so these should be really, really fun matches because you're right. Um, 
you know, Kevin Colling is a fantastic setter. Mitchum has been playing at Lewis, I think, for 19 years now. So he's got that experience on his side. Um, but, you know, Long Beach has firepower from the middle as well, in addition to, you know, having that advantage on the pins and absolutely has the advantage at the little barrel position. So um, we're actually going to learn a lot I think, this weekend from those matches. Um, I don't know if you can take a lot from matches early on the season, especially as teams are getting healthy and people are missing for, you know, COVID or, you know, injuries or whatever the case may be. But I think that these two teams or these three teams are all fairly healthy, should hopefully have most of their players playing. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, light some candles at the church. Um, and, you know, as long as that's the case, I definitely think we're going to see um, what these what these three teams are made of. And I'm excited to watch these matches. I really, really am. Yeah, if I, I can jump right. in here, here um, Brandon loves to rip on my take, but I want to see if he agrees with me. This is a matchup of the nation's best middle attacker versus the nation's best libero. Am I wrong? Uh, I think you are probably right. I know, well, for sure, libero. And I, I think, yeah, I think Mitchum, if he's not the best, he's one of the top two or three. So, yes, I mean, I think that's, I think that's probably pretty fair to say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I Not often in podcasts you have the middle libero breakdown in a, in a match. That is truly <laughs> off the Brock quality right right here. A lot, I'm sure there will be a, lots of scouting reports on, on that one. But, you know, also I will say the other thing for Lewis, I think this is going to be the true test of their pins. You know, Cole Breinhardt has played well so far. Let's see how he continues to emerge. Once again, this Lewis team lost a lot of players, especially on the pins with Bougie, you know, with with Ryan Cohen. So big opportunity, big test for Lewis. And Loyola, I don't, it feels like they're an afterthought, you know, because we're spending a lot of time talking about Lewis. But that's another, you know, once again, Garrett Zold knows how to run that offense. And for as bad as they looked in the season opener at times, I, I think sometimes that can kind of sully the rest of what they've done. And after that season opener against the number one team in the country, they put on a good show in the, the in the season finale or a series finale against the Rainbow Warriors, and then also had a good performance last week against NJIT and St. Francis in the win. So I'm excited to see them. Um, Belmont Abbey as well is going to be taking on Lewis and Loyola. Jonathan, looking at this, I, I don't see it as much as, you know, I'd love to wave the Conference Carolina flag. I, I don't see an upset, but – I think that these this could get interesting. I, I don't think it's going to be a clean sweep. I think that Belmont Abbey at least takes a set from one of these, if not both of these games or matches. Yeah. I I agree. You know, Belmont Abbey is undefeated three and out going into these matches. Um, I they haven't played the best competition, but they have some a couple of pin hitters that really impressed me. Um, the, I think. And I totally agree. I think that they take at least one uh, set, probably from both teams. Um, I, I would not be surprised by that. But um, uh, I think that's it'll be very competitive volleyball, and um, Belmont Abbey will represent Conference Carolinas pretty well this weekend. All right, another interesting match here out in the East Coast. We're going to be talking about Tusculum and Fort Valley State, coached by Larry Rather, former Ball State player, and Charleston assistant coach. You look at the standings right now, there's a big goose egg for every single SIAC team in terms of in terms of wins. 
None of them have gotten wins yet. I'm calling it right now. I think that this is where the SIAC gets their first win against Tusculum. Justin Yates, I'm telling you, this kid's from California. He's a good setter. He can play. I love the coaching staff that they have. I'm calling it right now. Fort Valley State gets the first win in conference history. And if it's against uh, Tusculum, it would be the first home match by a SIAC team um, in uh, their history. So it would be historic on a couple fronts. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, first home win, correct. First home win, absolutely correct on that. Uh, be the second, I believe the second home match, Charles, or I believe Central State hosted Indiana Tech at home. Oh, that's first, right. Yeah, first NCAA, first right. NCAA team. So we, we can go there and go with that. Um, let's keep going down. Let's jump on out to the West Coast a little bit here. UC Irvine and BYU. Is this where we see how good BYU is? Because I, I, I feel like a lot of people were finally looking at BYU and being like, ooh, after Penn State, like, ooh, this is not a top 10 team. This is what, when they say rebuilding year, this is a rebuilding year. Uh, yeah, it, it depends on I I would I think and I hope that Zio Mayer and um, Meeks come back and play in this match because if they don't, then I I could see Irvine taking both matches. That's how much those two mean to uh, BYU. I mean, we obviously know that Davide Cardini is a great outside attacker, but he can't do that alone. And, when you are running a uh, setter that is new to the program, the former bar, uh, a, a Barton transfer, and I believe he was actually a backup there. No, no offense to him, but if you're a backup um, setter that transfer, you're, you're you're definitely not the number one setter at BYU. I think it, it, if um, Dio Mayer is not uh, starting and Meeks is not um, starting. I think Irvine takes both matches. I think this is a battle of two teams that um, when you see their name, you think that these two teams should be, you know, top of the the rankings, top of the charts. And I think both of these teams are just fine at best. I know Jonathan was talking up that uh, Irvine looks good, but Irvine also hasn't played any of the top teams yet. And I think we're going to watch these matches and, Honestly, because of that, they're going to be competitive and they're going to be fun to watch. I don't necessarily think either one of these teams is going to be there at the end of the season. Um, but you know what? Go out and prove me wrong, boys. I'm, I've seen some things from Irvine that are really impressive. And as you mentioned, Jonathan Gardini is so good. And if they can, you know, get some of their guys some playing time and experience on the court, maybe maybe they will prove us wrong. But, you know, maybe it starts this weekend. We'll see. All right, and the final match that we'll break down here, Grand Canyon and UC San Diego. UC San Diego's been impressive. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I really like what they were able to do this past weekend against Stanford and Harvard, two quality wins. And then Grand Canyon, I mean, Janky right now has been the X-factor. I, I mean, he goes down early, gets injured, and, you know, Gardini, he's amazing, but – it's a lot easier to be amazing when you have another dynamic player out there in the pins like Janky. So uh, this is a top 10 matchup. I, I think that when we talk top 10 matchups, I don't see either of these teams ending the season in the top five, but unlike maybe UC Irvine, BYU, I see both these teams being in the top 10 by the time the season ends. 
correction, Vinny, you you think I didn't you meant Gianni, but uh, oh, Gianni, Gianni, yeah, 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 sorry about that. Yes, Gianni. Um, yeah, I think UC San Diego, you know, uh, they also got off to a late start because of uh, beyond pause by COVID, and you know, they they definitely did look impressive, and I think we're just we were wondering um, who would be the counterbalance to um, Macaulay uh, on the other side of the uh, of the pen, and. Um, I still think that that's a question that we still haven't had answered, but we I definitely love what I'm seeing from Macaulay. And um, I think the other thing that, um, I, you know, I think this match, I think UC San Diego takes it only because it, they're at home. That's how balanced, or even I think that these teams are. And, um, yeah, I think um, yeah, it, it's kind of lost in the shadow because of the Pac-12 Big Ten Challenge and uh, Long Beach State um, going out to the Midwest and even UC Irvine BYU is probably overshadowing this match, but I think this is something uh, a sneaky good match that people should have an eye out on. How crazy! San Diego's those... good, boys. San Diego's yeah. good. I've been saying it all year. They're going to be a good team. Go ahead, Vinny. No, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. Like I'm just sitting here. Like, how crazy is this? Though, like, be Grand Canyon, UC San Diego, like in. I'm even thinking back, you know, five years ago where we would have seen this game on the calendar and it would have been like, okay, cool. I'll click on the live stats link and see the final score and then move about my day. Like these two programs are just getting better and better every single year. And it's a credit to their schools, the amount of resources that they have invested in their men's volleyball programs. And no, I'm excited for this one. You know, I, I think you kind of look at the programs right now where they are. I think UC San Diego has asserted themselves, I, I really think, as the number three team this season in the Big West, possibly even you know, number three. I won't, won't go that far. And I think Grand Canyon, I, I think that there's still question marks with Grand Canyon just because, okay, you beat McKendry, then you went out to Penn State, weren't able to take a set. Now we kind of get to see a, a little bit of, a, of a, how they bounce back for that. So I'm excited for this one. You know, Matt Worley has that program going the right direction. So it, it's really good. As you see from hearing this podcast, I think a lot of coaches have a lot of teams going the right direction. Same positive here on the OTB podcast. Mm-hmm. Why am I on this podcast? Here's here's what I'm thinking, though. So uh, we talked about this early in the season, right? Who, who Who's playing well? Who's standing out to us? If we look big picture and we're thinking who can be there at the end of the season, and at the end of the season it's those teams that if they're healthy, if they don't have injuries um, based on experience, based on talent, who are those teams that can be there? I'm telling you right now, though, if they are healthy, if they are okay, Grand Canyon could be there at the end of the season. They have the pieces to do it, but as not one of those top, top, top tier teams, they are not going to have that same depth that some of those other teams have. So we've seen that one injury to a star player is going to very much affect them. So if they can get healthy, if they can get some other guys, get some experience and start building on that depth, I can absolutely see them at the end of the season um, as one of those teams competing for the MPSF and possible bid into the tournament. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Talking about the MPSF as a whole, I, you look at it, are, is anyone going to be shocked if Grand Canyon's the number three seed going that MPSF tournament? I'm not. No, I think I, I think they're absolutely the favorite to be the number three team right now, in yeah. my opinion. 
and, and then when you get to that, it's, okay, can you win two games? Can, can you get hot at the right time? And, and we've seen we, – there's been much more crazier things that have happened in the MPSF tournament than that. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and remember, the MPSF tournament is probably not going to be at BYU this year, which makes that neutral court a lot more neutral uh, than a home court advantage. So yeah. keep that in mind as well. Absolutely. And the serving also is now not going to be affected by, by the altitude. Possibly. We will see. Now, BYU could, of course, prove us all wrong, go on this amazing run, and then we play this podcast back four months from now. We're like, well, we were complete idiots. That occasionally happens sometimes with my predictions. Pelgrim Vargas did not win the National Player of the Year, despite that prediction from me two years ago. But Jonathan will never let me live down. Nope. All right, so, all right, fellas. Well, on that note, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Off the Block Podcast. I want to thank Jonathan Bates, Brandon Johnson, for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed and for Off the Block, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. For more volleyball coverage throughout the week, visit the Off the Block website at offtheblockblog.com. You can also find us on all the major social media platforms at Off the Block 11.